Hey, welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Today I'm doing a second take with underground filmmaker from New York, Sujiwa Ekanayake, on his movie The Secret Society for Slow Romance. We uh, recorded an interview a while ago and my audio levels were extremely hot. He was telling me about them when we were recording, but uh, I couldn't tell. So we had to, he was really nice. We redid it and we talk about his movie, Underground Filmmaking, his draw to it, and a whole bunch of other things film. Uh, I want to thank my sponsor, Galway Bay at 500 West Diversity Parkway. Uh, the bar's open. I've actually started returning there myself. Uh, finally, I, maybe because I finally had COVID, I'm like, well, what can happen now? <laughs> but no, uh, luckily with the vaccines and things beginning to go back to normal it's a perfect time to visit that bar like if you want just like a local pub that has like video games like they have n64 and like nes and snes and all that stuff plus they have like darts in the back and pool and like all that stuff and it has like a super local feel to it although it's like based on the galway bay it's in chicago and it's like very chicago-esque but it's like run by like these guys from ireland for some reason i kept running into bars from ireland but that's a whole other episode anyways we're talking about the secret society for slow romance an underground movie where if you don't know what underground cinema is you're about to find out enjoy yeah these days during the pandemic uh, one of the things I'm thinking about is what can I do to help people? Because uh, in the past, both in movies and a little bit in real life, I made a bunch of mistakes, learned from them. So now I'd like to figure out, uh, is there something I can do that helps a lot of people and uh, that also uses my filmmaking knowledge and experience? So that's what I'm up to these days. Cool. Commendable. I'm just trying to figure out how to quit my day job, have enough money, and, uh, yeah, become famous and rich as a filmmaker. Cool. All those things are totally doable. Hey, everyone. Take two. After I screwed up my initial uh, audio on my interview with Sajiwa, who actually warned me before we even started rolling, he said, hey, like, your microphone's really hot. And I think I turned it down, but then when I listened to it, yeah, I mean, I, I sounded... Like I was screaming, like the levels were peaking all over the place. It was a nightmare. But Sajiwa was very nice about it. He decided to sort of do another take with me. Uh, anyways, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Sujiwa Ekanayake, the director of the Secret Society for Slow Romance, and who is now working on the Secret Society, the Secret Society for Slow Romance 2. Part mm -hmm. two? Part two? Is it going to be a musical like Joker? No, it's uh, the full title is uh, The Secret Society for Slow Romance 2, Cosmic Disco Detective Rene. Uh, oh, and the, the mystery of Portal Time Travelers. <laughs> it's so great. It's like, it, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, have you ever seen, uh, what was it like? That, damn it, I can't remember the name of the movie. But uh, it was uh, okay. It, it kind of reminds me of like a B movie, but it's intentionally made to be that way. But it's not really a B movie. Yeah, this won't be. I'll be using Cosmic Disco Detective Rene as the main title for promotional purposes, and mm -hmm. uh, it'll be a comedy drama, primarily a comedy detective comedy with some romantic comedy, similar in tone to Slow Romance One, 
but with more, you know, weird detective character stuff. Yeah. Showing, yeah. Well, that's... Uh, showing a hidden, previously hidden side of Rene, the Rene character. Wow, that, that, there's there's some uh, there's some stuff to look forward to there. Very good. So, yeah, we'll be showing different sides of each of the characters, and there's going to be two new characters, uh, pro possibly an additional location. So yeah, most likely at least one additional interior location. Should be a fun movie. It'll be more of a straightforward comedy primarily. For those who are unaware, uh, who are the characters you're referencing from what movie that they could like maybe check out online to sort of get caught up on what we're talking about? Yeah, the, the first movie, uh, Sacred Society for Slow Romance, which we are talking about now, uh, it's on it's free on YouTube right now. Just Google, uh, you know, go to YouTube and search The Secret Society for Slow Romance and you'll see the full movie. It's on there for a limited time, possibly until fall, possibly longer, we'll see. 769 people have seen it. Wow, there we go. Let's keep those numbers going up. Let's keep them going up. <laughs> and, and like 70,000 plus people have heard about it through my Twitter and Facebook ads, primarily Facebook ads. Mm. Oh, yeah, that, they helped me too, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there is one thing uh, as I'm watching this, I'm always kind of like, yeah, how did you, you have a very unique voice mm -hmm. where people will talk about things that are like rather obscene, such as, you know, oh, I have, make a living by taking dick pics and you know, the, and uh, the character of uh the uh, of, of allison um uh she, know, she just sort of casually brings this up while no, yeah, i no, guess no, you guys no. come up with the idea of solving world hunger by having right. an indie fest and it's like it's, it's talked about in sort of this blase manner where you know you know it's sort of it, it's satirical and it kind of knows as being that, but it's very relaxing to watch at the same time. Well, dick pics are, main, uh, are, are a mainstream thing now. I mean, uh, anyone who's dating in the modern world, uh, I mean, most likely the younger people, you know, they share photos of their private parts. So, mm -hmm. you know, with the, with the digital cameras now. So it's, <laughs> it's just a regular part. It's like porn, I guess, but, you know, more DIY. Um, no, she is... Yeah, she's doing a short film about a group of people who are, uh, you know, starting. Uh, well, I don't want to give too much away, but a group of people doing something similar uh, related to dick pics. Uh, it's one of the one of the jokes in the movie. But uh, the starting an organization to end poverty worldwide—that is one of the more serious concerns in the movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's just like real life talk. I mean, their real life conversations happen like that. That that touch on, you know, sexual stuff and also uh, activism, helping helping people type stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of things that you're passionate about, but you sort of introduce it in a way where you're saying, I don't have the answers, but here's the problems and here's sort of a way to sort of laugh at our own pain in a, you know, no, it's, it's, sort of it's, it's not necessarily things I'm passionate about. It's- uh, Okay, well, things you think about, I would say, right? <laughs> It's a fictional story, but uh, yeah, I would yeah. support a group that wants to end poverty. Sure, why not? That that would be a great idea. Why? I mean, who's who's not for ending world hunger outside right. of you know the billionaires who keep the money for themselves? But that's a whole other episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the movie is fiction. It's, it's scripted. It took about a year to write the script. Uh, it's similar to My Dinner with Andre, two New York mm -hmm. characters, creative characters 
talking about a bunch of things. The plot is uh, they go on during uh, 2020, during the first year of the pandemic, fall of 2020, two New York filmmakers go on several dates. They hang out, eat, talk, and they figure out how to end poverty worldwide. And it's a comedy. Yeah. Um, so the the one thing I started watching Mystery Train actually last night. I'm like Good. 46 minutes in. Awesome. And yeah, I, I definitely noticed like Jim Jarmusch's like influence on your movie is sort of like the cool blue uh, font title at the beginning of the picture, for instance. And then uh, sort of two characters in the case of Mystery Train, it's this uh, these Japanese teenagers Mm-hmm. Uh, just sort of going about life, talking about you know uh, almost the same issues you talk about here, very uh, very universal ones, but in a very sort of a, a comedic manner. Um, so th- I'm gonna guess uh, I could see how Jarmish really uh, starts to influence yourself. Now I started doing my own homework. Uh, mm-hmm. h- how do you usually interp- interpret the like his work and other people's work into your film while kind of just having it still be your own thing and not pulling a and I'm not trying to, you know, discredit his work or anything, but not trying to be like a Quentin Tarantino making like, you know, a fan film or something like that. Well, and Tarantino, Tarantino has his own unique, highly recognizable style. Uh, exactly. So yeah. I, I have my own style. Um, this is my Slow Romance was my 10th movie. I think maybe the fifth uh, fiction feature that I completed. So and mm-hmm. each film is slightly different, but you'll see a lot of similarities in, in all of my movies. Uh, one short, a couple documentaries and all the fiction and stuff. I'm, I'm concerned with lives of creative people, uh, usually in cities, uh, you know, D.C. area or New York City lately. Last three movies are New York City. Plus, I do some movies about detective characters, like the werewolf ninja philosopher character and Sal Wolpes in Breakthrough Weekend. And uh, But primarily, it's about creative people and their problems in uh, cities. And uh, yeah, and I keep notes on things and I talk about things that interest me, uh, but the goal is to create something fun and interesting that would work for an audience. Yeah, it always seems like uh, it's either your protagonist or one of the other characters is directly related into the arts, which, you know, the movie stems from, which is like underground film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes what draws you to kind of keep making those characters. And I mean that in a way where it's like, you know, that's your thing. That's your style. Like Scorsese makes movies about gangsters, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's it about yours that uh, uh, draws you to the artist and to tell their tale? Per se? Well, it's uh, working. I can, since I'm an artist, I can work off of uh, my own life for starting points for characters. And uh, it's sort of like uh, documenting, you know, lives of artists. It's an interesting group of people to talk about, and uh, since they're they're in touch with so many other parts of life, uh, you know that gives me a lot of flexibility. So if you have to uh, make a movie about any group of people, artists are a good group of people to make movies about. I was muted. <laughs> no, I I agree. Uh, it's uh, it's sort it's sort of a thing that yeah, a lot of my favorite movies are about. Uh, people making movies. One of them that's like really overlooked, I think, is uh, the Aviator that uh, Scorsese did. You know, especially like the first act where Howard Hughes is uh, making Hell's Angels and all that. You're like, oh my god, I didn't know that this guy had like thirty cameras and all these planes. Whoa. Good, good. I need to watch it. I've only seen parts of it, but I haven't seen the whole thing. 
Oh, it's it's so great. I I I, I thought like that was one of the movies that kind of got like robbed during the Oscars. I'm like ah, but whatever. The Scorsese got his you know Oscar in the end. But uh, you know one thing is uh, COVID is a big sort of element in your movie. Uh, how do you think being creative, uh, being active, has uh, helped you as an artist during COVID? Uh. Yeah, the movie kept me busy. Making Slow Romance kept me busy. And uh, yeah, the, you know, and as you recall, in uh, early part to maybe fall of 2020, everything was shut down. So uh, that really kept me busy and gave me something to do. So that's always good. Yeah, I mean, if I, I mean, it was weird during COVID. I had to, if I, I kind of learned how productive I was, and I think that was sort of like the key. Like that, COVID was sort of like everyone's time to shine. Be like, okay, now that I'm locked in, it's either I'm just gonna, you know, get drunk and smoke weed and play video games, or you know, I'm gonna go out in the world and be active and do something I've always wanted to do but never had the time to do mm-hmm. to do it. But, you know, uh, I mean, as an artist, though, you're able to support yourself in New York City, which is not cheap. But, uh, you know, how how did you end up sort of finding your path and finding your way over the years where you feel comfortable doing what you're doing and doing it where you are, you know, instead of like having to go through the whole studio system thing? What turns you on to indie film and how it's shaped you throughout the years? Well, I live cheaply in Brooklyn in a relatively cheap part of Brooklyn, less expensive, but it's getting more expensive all the time. And I've always had day jobs. When I first moved to New York, I was working at uh, Barnes and Noble. And uh, yeah, if you keep your expenses low, you can live almost anywhere. Or if you keep your expenses low and you have some revenue streams, uh, mm-hmm. you can uh, almost live anywhere and pursue filmmaking. And filmmaking is uh, not too expensive anymore. Uh, you know, you. You can shoot on your phone. You can shoot on a camcorder that you can buy for a couple of thousand dollars and keep for several years. Um, you, know, you just have to pay the actors uh, some money so they can survive. And uh, especially the kind of movies I do, it's people talking, you know, real people hanging out in the real world. It's not like we have to, it's not like we have to build a giant avatar underwater set, you know. Um, <laughs> I've, I've always been attracted to indie film because it, one, allows you to make movies. I don't have to wait 10 years to get the funding. And two, uh, there's so many stories, so many characters, like the two characters in my movie, Slow Romance, that really have not been shown in the movies. So there's a lot of room for me to work in that space. Now I'm working on making the movies better known. That's why I'm promoting uh, Slow Romance on YouTube. You know, get it out free everywhere in the world, India, Pakistan, Middle East, Egypt, wherever, Europe. Uh, Now, you know, anyone who's mildly interested can easily check it out. And then I can monetize using uh, blogs or, you know, grants, donations. And then once people know about me and my work and if they love it, when I come out with the next movie, they might buy it. Wow, that is that is a long process. I'm guessing you didn't just discover overnight. <laughs> you know, it, it takes more... since uh, since the early '90s. I decided right out of, right right out of high school to become a filmmaker. I went to film school briefly at Columbia College Chicago. Then I did video production work in the DC area. Then I started making movies. First feature in 1999. So now I keep up with a lot of the film options, filmmaking options. 
And I've launched a new Indiegogo, not Indiegogo, a new Patreon where once a week I'm going to break down grants information, filmmaking information, my own projects for donors so that other filmmakers who, I mean, there's a lot of resources and a lot of opportunities out there that a lot of people are not exploring. So other mm -hmm. filmmakers, other interested filmmakers and film fans and fans of my work will have something interesting to read. Uh, it's the Patreon slash backslash Sujiwai, S-U-J-E-W-A. Yeah, uh, send me the link. We'll put it in the information, and yeah, that's how I do it because I I know I'll you know I'm dumb dumb brains. I'll forget and then have my audio levels go too hot. <laughs> yeah, I just started last night, and every Friday I'll have a post, and then we'll do more stuff as I learn more about Patreon. It'll be an, it should be a nice place to create a filmmaker community. Yeah, I mean, you said your first feature was in 1999. Now, uh, yeah, 1998 we shot it, and 1999 I released it at a local theater in Washington D.C. Uh, what was it like making a movie in '98 uh, compared to now? Did you just use like a camcorder, or did you yeah, like no, no. Use that film was or? 16 millimeter? Whoa. Okay. So how is that? How is the process of 16 mil comparatively to digital? Like uh, much worse. Much worse. Uh, much more expensive <laughs> and much worse. I, I don't recommend anyone shoot on film unless you're a studio or streamer backed, you know, project where, you know, budget is not uh, really a concern. Uh, back in the day, I mean, the problem with uh, shooting on film is uh, it's much more expensive for an indie project still. We didn't have video assist, so I couldn't see what was being recorded until the footage came back from the lab uh it's not a good way to work especially if you're starting out in film shoot a lot of stuff on digital video get a camcorder or use i mean a lot of a lot of uh, people these days are into using still cameras but i, re I recommend camcorder probably yeah. the best tool not the phones not the still camera but a good camcorder that can shoot for hours on straight without a problem um sony xa50 is really good no, Canon XA50 is really good, but there's oh, yeah. NXA11, Sony MC88, and then XA50 or Sony NX80. Or you could get like a Canon GH2, which actually is made for video. Or a, or I I have like a couple uh, Black Magics that I use for like GH2 is a, it's like a DSLR type thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's as a DSLR, but it's actually made for video. Okay, so. so it's like the yeah, it's like the shape of a DSLR. It's a Panasonic, so like micro four third mounted lenses. Although, mm -hmm. I mean, I would like to attach something on one of my Black Magics, but they're like five hundred dollars, and it's like yeah. The, the reason I recommend uh, yeah. camcorders for startup film, you know, filmmakers who are new, is that yeah. everything you need is in the camcorder. You don't have to worry about mm -hmm. lenses. You don't have to worry about this and that, it, uh, and uh, get a camcorder with an XLR adapter that's a professional, high-quality sound. You can attach an XLR mic to it, then you're ready to, go, ready to go. I'd say that's actually a really good recommendation because, like, what you were pointing out there, I'm I'm just thinking about my camera. I'm like, oh, God, I still got to get this lens because that lens is too slow. And, and yeah, it, yeah. it's like for a beginner, it's like, no, they just want to be able to hit record and stop. If I was, like, because exactly. I started making movies when I was, like, 12 years old or something like that, mm -hmm. and or 12, 13, something like that. And if I started, like, if I didn't just have, like, my, you know, uncle's camera that I ran around, just had my toys just saying, ridiculous shit to each other <laughs> like those are like my first movies i can't even repeat some of the dialogue it's just like crazy shit kids say like when they first discover swear words and they're like eh. right. yeah but 
like camcorders use and even for pro filmmakers i plan on using camcorders forever yeah well it's like it, the funny thing is is like i actually when i first worked in film i walked away from it when i was around 13 because i used like a 16 millimeter bolex camera and it was just so cumbersome and i'm like i just want to make the freaking movie but you know, it's a it depends on the filmmaker's approach and everything too you know it depends how they want the frame to look like for instance like a period piece with sweeping shots and you have millions of dollars i'd always say go with film over digital because the way the image moves in and of itself like you get those artifacts in digital where you no 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 i think in 2022 digital can do almost more than what film can do i mean film is oh uh, it can yeah. yeah film is a type of uh, uh you know film has a type of emulsion based look that can be mimicked on digital i wouldn't I wouldn't shoot film for anything, even, I mean, if there was any, I mean, there, I really don't see a good reason to uh, shoot film anymore. I mean, uh, for nostalgic personal reasons, but look wise, you can, you know, uh, what's a, what's a good example? Uh, what you Let's say a uh, Blade Runner, if it was projected in film or 4k, you know, I think really? like, yeah, you would have the nostalgic emotion, sure. but it wouldn't like look as sharp as it does in 4k or 8k as they projected on screen. I think Blade Runner was shot on digital. The first one? No, 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 not the first one. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I meant the first one. No, 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 the first one's digital and it looks fantastic. Actually, yeah, but you you could do that look. You can imitate that look on digital right now. Yeah, yeah, I you can. It just doesn't quite look that. Like I saw Boogie Nights projected on there. Uh, you know, at the Music Box Theater in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I've seen Once Upon a Time, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood there, and I'm like wow i miss this way of like there's just something you know natural and emotional like you said that's beautiful but again it's dependent on the project really it's it's, it's, oh no that too and which marvel needs to learn how to use which they finally did with uh miss marvel it's like oh yeah there's lumetri scopes if i just drag this down it looks better whoa which i don't know how they didn't get that before but you you, you can make any digital project now look like old-timey 35 millimeter film most Mm -hmm. audiences will not be able to tell a difference well you know i did actually see a movie that sort of did that in that regard where else where they told us like oh no we shot this on digital and then you know we just like went in post-production toyed with it i'm like wow but it's a there was a whole there's there's this amazing bit i think it was from this documentary called side by side where um Martin Scorsese was in this lecture that George Lucas was giving and uh, Lucas, you know, said, you know, like Scorsese hated the idea. It's like, it's terrible. I'm not going to switch to digital. And then Lucas said something like, at the, at the end of the day, they're just tools that we use. Mm-hmm. And Scorsese's like, yeah, they are. Like, what? why am I so against this? So, you know, at the end of the day, it's the way of the future. <laughs> Speaking well, of the, it's the, present, I mean, the Everyone's, you know, most movies are shot on digital now. And all yeah. video, almost all uh, video programs and television are shot on digital. A few, yeah. uh, I mean, it's been the present for a long time now. Uh, yeah. Film, film is an outdated format. No, hardly anyone uses it. No, it, yeah, it's a, it's, um, it's, it's dying. I think there will always be filmmakers who will keep it alive, but Maybe. it's we'll not. I, mean, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough to keep alive because uh, you need a lab to process it and then scan yeah. it. So people can edit it. Uh, I don't know if, uh, on an industrial scale, if you could, at some point, it may, it, it may, we may already be at that point where it's impossible to support a, uh, 
you know, large scale professional film or TV project using, uh, using film. Yeah. Yeah. It might go away. Cause that is a lot of money that the studios have to spend. And I'm sure the execs are going, why are we wasting all this money on this? And uh, like, I remember, do you ever see project green light? I did, but you have any questions about slow romance? <laughs> I do have questions about Very slow good. romance. Let's, let's okay, sorry, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no I, I would say uh, throughout the years, how has your approach to filmmaking changed is sort of what I was going with with all this. Oh, good, good. Uh, well, each project is different, obviously. Uh, after shooting the first one on uh, First Future and the first short on 16mm, in 2001 or two, I shot a documentary called 17 DC Poets using digital video, old-timey mm-hmm. digital video. And from there on, I was like, digital is the way to go. So I shoot digital. And uh, uh, for slow romance, we did a very unusual thing, you know, as far as filmmaking goes. Ca- uh, a cast and crew of two, crew of one, you know, myself operating the camera. The yeah. mic was mounted on top of the camera, and it's just the two of us. So two people essentially made a feature. I had a friend come in and help Gene Erdl one day on some exterior shoots. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's you know unheard of. Hardly anyone mm-hmm. does that, and we, we were forced to do it um, during the pandemic. But then I realized uh, I liked the results. That's a good way to work. Keep it as minimal crew and minimal catch as possible. Take your time with it. Do lots of takes, you know, and we end up with a good, good end product. Yeah, it's, it's less cooks in the kitchen. Right. You know, and sometimes I do get a lot of people like badgering me and I'm like, look, I don't like because so, you know, you get a lot of those guys on set who are literally just standing there doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, the, the, then it's like, oh, OK, someone on the walkie tells them to lock up the street or something like that, which, hey, PAs are important, but, you know, they, they are expendable. <laughs> at oh, the end no, of the it day. depends on the type of project, but if you're, yeah. that's more of a... Larger know, scale. But, like, even on a small project. scale, yeah, I meant to say. If you're shooting interiors uh, and uh, with people talking, comedy, drama, keep it as small as possible. You don't need PAs for that. Oh yeah, especially I mean, especially with the sound is a pain in the ass because you know people are just like ruffling on the wooden floors or leaning against shit, and then you know you got to deal with that the whole time. But I like the extremely minimalistic approach that you take to it. You know, and you 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 kind of keep everything still colorful in the frame. You know, you don't just shoot like a blank white wall. You do right. like you you kind of you you try to make it look a little blank to keep the realism in it because the world is filled with white walls. Like we're there's no hiding that. But you have like you know little plants and other things placed in the frame to kind of give it a nice colorful look. How did how did you go about finding that look? Oh, you just have to, like you said, you don't want to shoot you know white wall after white wall. So when you design the shot, you look at uh, production design, what to put in the frame, and then you bring things in and make sure it's in the frame. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to do it. So then. You have to hit like record on all three cameras, and I'm guessing. No, 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 no. One just... camera. It's a one camera shoot. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. For it looks so natural. It looks like there's like a master, and then not even OTSs. It just stays focused on the character. 
which mm -hmm. is uh, pretty nice. It's more because I'm tired of seeing OTS shots. You know, I, it's not like George Lucas directing the prequel. It's going, oh, I just use a camera. Yeah, yeah. Hey, camera. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, shoot, I shoot all my fiction features with one camera. It makes it easier to do and uh, gives me multiple takes from multiple angles that is not of the same performance so that I can find the best, best performance when I edit things together. So that slow romance is... Uh, we shot a wide shot of the two characters, then we did another take of one of the characters and another take of another character, but we really did about four takes uh, per scene, per, yeah, we've, yeah, about uh, four takes, four to 10 takes per page. Yeah. And how did you develop the uh, script? Because you said it took you about like maybe a year to write it or something like yeah, that. I just, wrote it, yeah, I just wrote it the regular way people write scripts, gathered the information, figured out what kind of goal I was going for, and worked on the dialogue and make and made it work so how's like your first feature contrast with like sort of the work you have now i was thinking my even on my first feature we had segments where the camera was uh, riding around washington dc in between you know uh, dialogue scenes and that has pretty much continued uh, in uh, all my features except a couple uh date number one didn't have it um uh Breakthrough Weekend had a little bit of it, and uh, Werewolf had uh, some of it. But yeah, so this, uh, you know, putting in a lot of shots of the exterior uh, in between shots of the interior is something that I do, and uh, that's continued since the first feature. Yeah. So uh, I noticed there's a lot of sort of representation in your movie. Uh, the food sort of serves as a cultural symbol, hence why the camera sometimes holds on it for so long. Uh, nothing brings together cultures more than food. Like, even if you're, like, a hillbilly from, you know, middle of nowhere, and then you come to, like, let's say Logan Square, you know, in Chicago, like, you guys could always find something in common just by our taste buds, unless you have COVID, and then you don't have them. Although, I did get COVID recently, and I did not lose, like, taste or spell or anything. Oh, but. good. I hope you recover. Oh yeah, it was it was literally because I I had like two shots in a booster, so it was like good, nothing good. for me. Yeah, I but... get my three and four shots. Oh oh, you're you're down a shot. See, all right, so so uh, so, so I got, I got two shots. One. I didn't get three and four yet. Yeah, I think three is what really helped me. So, good. but yeah, but anyways, I, I guess uh, what I was where I was going with the whole food thing was how do you make like food sort of. Uh, how do you? Why do you interpret it as like a thing where people connect with? Like, what made you say, "Hey, this should be in the movie"? Because I like it. Whenever I watch it, I'm like, "Ah, now I'm hungry." Yeah, for Indian food. No, I actually, am hungry for Indian food now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there are dates. People getting together to eat food and hang out. So that seemed like a good thing to show. I mean, this is what typically happens on dates. You know, people go out and eat. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's usually like uh yeah, it's a thing that I think everyone shares, but yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. You gotta eat yeah. and uh you know, we got and the and I actually worked it into the production. The food we were having were the production meals. So we didn't have to have a separate uh, you know, uh, food break. We we would get the food, we would eat it, we would film us eating it, then I yeah. would shoot the dialogue and cut around it. Yeah, right. And uh, you didn't have continuity issues with that or anything like, oh, the sport I mean, we, was over here. And we planned things properly. That's 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 the way to go. I mean, that's a lot to uh, balance at the same time. Do you ever find it a challenge to sort of 
film the scene and act in the scene and record the scene, or is it something that feels very natural and maybe freeing in a way? Um, you know, all filmmaking is difficult. Uh, you just have to get used to the system, and after that, you're okay with it. But uh, yeah, you do have to stop, check the camera, check the sound, make sure everything's happening properly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you uh, told me. Uh, oh, sorry, I was going down my notes here. No problem. Um, <laughs> so, when you talk about your experiences to the masses to enjoy, since empathy is universal and there's nothing that emotionally connects human beings more than movies, do you really think? Um, I mean, although it's done in a satirical way, do you think film art? Communication is a way to, you know, our film and art through communication, I should rather say, is a way to help people maybe solve problems like poverty and things like that and racism, because mm -hmm. film in a way does kind of help change our minds and it is our, our vessel to history, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah you could definitely use film or, or any other you know, sort of a communication art medium to build organizations around to promote certain ideas and to bring people together and tackle big problems like poverty, uh, you know, climate crisis, uh, you know, corruption, mm -hmm. uh, instability, all these major things, you know, anything that, that, that a lot of people can connect, uh, connect on can be used to help solve certain problems. And what would you like your people to take away when they, walk away from the secret society for slow romance. And then part two, forgive me. I could not remember the entire title. From part one, uh, hopefully they'll have a good time and see an interesting movie and have a enjoyable time. And the second item to think about is working towards ending poverty worldwide. I mean, even forget the world. I mean, at first start with the U S right. I mean, it's insane mm -hmm. that, the so-called richest nation in the history of the world has poverty. It makes no sense. We have a really messed up you know, gun problem, which may not be related to poverty, but it uh, looks like a lot of the guys who are shooting places up are suicidal. So that's probably related to healthcare, and, and that's related to poverty. Mm -hmm. Healthcare issues messed up here. Um, yeah, a lot could be done in the U.S. to improve if not end poverty, improve uh, quality of life for more people. And yeah. a rich place like this could end poverty if we really wanted to do it. Yeah. And to circle it back to filmmaking, the, the way we would do that is make movies that depict the problems in this world and how we can fix it. For instance, um, you know, I, I have my mixed emotions about them, but I think Bowling for Columbine is a phenomenal film. You know, even if there's some areas that don't age quite as well, you know, especially the whole Marilyn Manson scene. But it's like that that movie made so many incredible points mm -hmm. that people could kind of say, well, look, this movie's saying what you guys in the media are doing. You drive racism and fear, and then people don't get the mental health that they need. And, you know, for movies that could connect people who have, like, I used to have mental health issues, and one movie I would always connect to was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm -hmm. which I've read the book, I saw the movie. I don't think either of them are better than the other. They're all great in their own way, you know, but filmmaking, depicting all these sort of elements of the world together, you can find someone from another country or from another race, another 
value anything and you you can relate to them you can be in someone else's shoes and through that sort of empathy and the power of filmmaking you can actually maybe in some way solve poverty or hunger or whatever issue there is well ultimately no but it's at least it, it's a good thought to have well i think you can ultimately i mean ultimately problems get solved we used to have yeah. cholera and we used to have tb we used to have all kinds of issues so yes ultimately problems get solved mass mm. media mass uh, uh mass media or mass medium like uh, film can 100 percent be used to solve problems yeah they can they can be and uh they could also be a way to sort of relax because uh, the feeling I get when I watch your movies is, oh, this is relaxing. This is nice. There I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this for a while. Also, you know? at least you can use movies to take a break from the ongoing problems, which will give you time to think about how to deal with various things. Yeah, because we all need a brain break. And, right. you know, that's that's why entertainment, like, you know, as much as. Critics like to go, Bo, I don't, you know, Marvel stuff and Marvel's kind of like a slang term now in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's like it does provide escapism mm-hmm. and some messaging, you know, even if it's the same. I think critics sometimes just get tired because when you see like oh, a yeah. hundred plus movies a yeah, year, it's like, it. oh, uh, I'm watching this again. Movies, it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I... I think we've talked about a lot. I mean, we've covered a lot in 34 minutes. We talked about poverty. We talked about filmmaking, your approach to it. This and, was, uh, this what, what, what did you like the shots of New York City? Did you, did it make you I did. New York? I did. I, I liked how they're like these little interludes, like in between where you're just like, well, what's supposed to happen? Like nothing. Just enjoy the ride. <laughs> just enjoy the ride. And then. When the uh, when the dialogue starts again, you'll have a good time. That that's that's go. my quote for the movie. That's my review quote. Enjoy right. the ride. <laughs> awesome. But glad you got to see it, and I'll send you the second one also. And yeah, uh, yeah uh, and glad we did uh, part two of the interview. And maybe <laughs> one day I'll be in Chicago shooting a movie. Let's see. That's right. Maybe you'll actually swing by the real bar, and we'll have the camera set up there and everything, man. Let's did do you, it. Uh, Take it easy, my friend. Mike. Again, if you want to find his stuff, his socials are in the information below. Okay, I'll email you some links. All right. Yeah, please do. Uh, but yeah, once he emails me the links and you guys see the finished product at all, be awesome. there. All right. Good work. All right, man. Guys, remember, if you want to check out any of my stuff, go to ypareviews.com or just Google YPA Reviews. The YPA sensor, you'll probably agree. Hopefully, we'll see you in the bar soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, thank you, Sajiwa, for sticking around. Why did my voice crack? Uh, thank you, Sajiwa, for sticking around with me and doing the whole interview again, even where I sort of asked the same questions again. And this time I had the opportunity to not sound as stupid as I did the first time because, well, naturally I'm an idiot. But, hey, I'm proof that you could be an idiot and be a film critic. <laughs> Thanks for listening or watching. And if you like anything from me, go to ypareviews.com or, heck, go on Google. Type in YPA Reviews. The YPA stands for you'll probably agree. And if you don't, you'll probably agree to disagree with me. How about that? Yeah, I finally found a way to plug that in. Okay, have a good one.